Welcome to this week of Missouri Politics from the state capital in Jeff City. We are very honored to be in the office of the 57th governor of the great state of Missouri, Governor Parson. Thanks for the hospitality. I'm oh, glad you're here this morning, Scott. Big state of the state week. I thought the biggest thing, I know everybody can take what they want. It was, a, it was a good long speech. Tax cut. You're going to cut folks' taxes, right? Yeah, you know, one of the great things about just the things you believe in so fundamentally yeah. since I've been governor, we're able to cut taxes twice now. And honestly, if the economy keeps going like it is, which I believe it will, I think there will be another tax cut probably, uh, hopefully next year I'll be up there to be able to say the same thing again. But uh, we're heading in the right direction in this state. I mean, I'm telling you, the economy here is strong right now. We just need to take advantage of it. I've always believed a guy getting off work this weekend, he looks at his pay stub, West Plains or Sedalia, and goes, I don't think he ever says, you know, I didn't send enough money to the government. I uh, think he likes that number at the end being bigger. You know what? People out there that work every day, just work hard, yeah. you know, they just want their money. They want to be able to go home. They want to live their lives. They want to have a house. They want to have a truck. They want to have a boat, whatever it is they want to spend their money on. And they want less government in their lives, period. And especially when it comes to taxes. So, you know, it's a, it's a great opportunity when you're governor to be able to cut taxes yep. and your economy's just cranking at the same time, which fundamentally tells you if you let people do their jobs, you put money in their pockets, the economy will be fine. It's when government interferes too much. You know, sometimes I sit back and chuckle. You'll do something, and you'll see the liberal, the, maybe the elitist media in St. Louis wring their hands. You cut off these extra benefits for unemployment. And I know that, look, I appreciate folks from the out of work need a help, the hand. I, I believe in that. Been times in my life I've needed a hand. Right. But you cut that back, and literally, if you drive down Missouri Boulevard in Jeff City, you drive down Porter Wagner Boulevard in West Plains or any place in between, there's help wanted signs everywhere. And now the unemployment number, can we announce that here? What is going yeah, to be? Yeah, sure. We, do. we just got a new one on that, 3.3 uh, that we're going to get to do. But, but, you know, Scott, just what you went back and talking about, there's 120,000 job openings out there. Yeah. So jobs are out there. Maybe not be the exact job you want, but it's a job and you can make a living at it. And you need to go out there and fill them jobs. You know, we went from 385,000 people on unemployment and we're down today, I think, to around 21,000. But that's 21,000 too many. You know, we want people back in the workforce by cutting off those federal benefits, by making sure that we're giving people the opportunity to go back to work. And government doesn't make it, shouldn't make it easy for people to sit at home. You don't get many times in politics I've seen where you can say, you know what, that's the right call. Looking back on cutting those benefits off, can you look back and tell folks in the eye in Missouri, I've made the right decision? There is no doubt in my mind we did the right thing in this state to get people back to work. And I don't think anybody's going to argue that. Anybody have to look at the numbers and look what we were doing. When we, the day we cut that off, weeks before we, when we announced that, people started going back to work because they wanted to be first in line to go back to work yeah. and get a job. So it worked, and we should have never had those benefits that long, and they weren't meant to continue to go on and continue to go on. I liked your line that Missouri is open for business and business is good. Right. I love to see there, there's an innovative company. I've seen you went for the groundbreaking. You talk about infrastructure, right? And sometimes you think, well, maybe you can get to work a little quicker or something. Maybe you can, maybe someday you can get through Tipton without it taking forever when you're going from Jeff City right. to Kansas City. Um, but to me, you talk, it's, it's interesting when you can connect that. We have, we're in the middle of this country. That's, a, that's our advantage. We don't have beaches, but we're in the middle of the country. I watched this thing and you mentioned Gateway Studios. They want to be right on the interstate, right where there's infrastructure, right. in the middle of the country. Right. They came out 175 jobs. These are not these are good jobs. You cannot you can support your probably your parents and your in-laws on these jobs. Yeah. I mean, these are good jobs. I watched that come. That's gotta feel good when you actually get to see, okay, I've been talking about infrastructure, I'm talking about it, but now these are folks who are coming here because of it. 
That's one of the, one of the things that we started from day one to put this plan in place when we talk about infrastructure and workforce development. You've got to do a lot more than talk about it, and you've got to implement the process. And that's exactly what we're doing. That's why, why Gateway come here, $111 million. People are making business decisions. They're just not coming here saying, hey, we love Missouri and we like Missouri when you bring companies from out of state. One, they're going to look, what's the environment here in Missouri? What's the living standards here for? What's it cost to do business? And when, and when we talk about infrastructure sometimes, kind of like you said, well, back home, we kind of think, okay, boy, it'd be nice to have a cut through road here yep. or fix up our roads. But it's a much bigger picture than that. People are going to bring businesses here and people are going to go to work here because of infrastructure. We all like living where we live sometimes because of the way we live. And we want that infrastructure in place. And when you start talking about highways and bridges and rail and rivers and you talk about broadband, anybody that's been in business before, the three things they'll always tell you in business you need. Location, location, location. Missouri is in a square in the middle of the United States. That's why people are coming here, especially on distribution centers and things like that. That's just growing. It's one of the hottest items out there. Now, it's interesting. We talk about a tax cut. When you talk about paying workers more, that's got to come down to management. I see with like, take this gateway. I see there's a bill up now and they don't, they, they need an incentive to compete with Georgia and Pennsylvania. The Republican legislators put these incentives in. I thought it was the most interesting thing. I, there was a committee hearing this week. They said, we want to be in Missouri. We're coming to Missouri to compete. We need this. But the day those other states put their incentive away, take ours out. Right. I thought that's a great compliment to Missouri. Right. And I, and I think that's why, we're, that's why we're being so successful right now with all the businesses I listed yesterday. You know, during a pandemic, I'm going to say there's very few states in the United States can say we expanded our footprint by $5.2 billion. We put 21,000 new jobs, not ones we lost or anything, but brand new jobs because we kept this state open. We kept people, we kept our schools open, we kept our churches open, you know, and people look at that from a business arena. People's got to make money. Uh, you know, not everybody's just a big old corporation out there that's yep. got enough money that doesn't matter. Most people have a business sense to them and says, look, I got to have my doors open. I got to have people working to be able to make a profit, to be able to pay these people. And that's part of the big picture. And I think that's why we've been so aggressive when it comes to workforce development, making sure those people can do exactly that. Let's talk about COVID. Um, you came out and said there will be no state mandates. Right. Um, currently, I mean, I've, I think everywhere in the world is dealing with Omicron. It's a tough thing. Uh, but you look, then you, you think about how we come forward. I, you've said something a couple times. You're going to have to get back to living our life. Now, a lot of this state, frankly, maybe even too much, did not change their life for COVID. Some parts of the state, I think there's an inner, so there's an inner part of some folks want to, they, they, they feel like they should keep this going. Are we getting to the point where you're just going to have to move on? I don't think there's any question about that. We, we know a lot more about COVID than we did 22 months ago. Mm -hmm. But at some point, government has to get out of the business of being the, of running the health care of COVID-19. It's going to have to go back to the health care systems. They're the ones going to have to be able to deal with this. Government should be there to support that, not be the ones out there dictating how we do it, when we do it, who goes to work, who doesn't go to work. That's not government's place to do. And we got to get out of that. Everybody in this state, vaccines are available to anybody that wants one. Yep. I mean, that's, that's just the, the truth of the matter. And not everybody's going to take a vaccine. Is there anything you can say to a person two years into this to take a vaccine if they haven't chose to? I don't know what you say to them. Well, I don't, I don't either at this point. It's what I'm saying. There's nothing yeah. new out here to tell anybody. Yeah. I mean, people know the situation. They know how serious COVID is. They know that people in their communities have, have died from COVID. Mm -hmm. You know, they know they have a choice to make. 
Do I want to take a vaccine or do I not? We're not going to force anybody to take a vaccine. But that reality is going to be there. So anybody that thinks everybody's eventually is going to get vaccinated, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So you've got to look at the practical of this. But yet we can still deal with it. Every day, more and more people are getting vaccinated. We're not making anybody do it. People are just getting it done on their own. And that's been pretty consistent. Herd immunity is going to kick in. It's going to be part of the solution to this. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, you know, we never want to be in this situation. Nobody does. Nobody wants to see anybody get real sick. Nobody wants to see people die. But the reality of it is a virus. And what it has told you is we're not in control of that sometimes. Yeah. We've got to fight it, but we're not the ones in control of it. But I do think things will get better. Uh, I think you're going to see this variant at this point. Uh, I think in the next two to three weeks, you'll probably see it hopefully going uh, the other way a little bit. Let's talk about the thing. I think more of your constituents, when they talk about politics, they're talking about this than I've ever seen schools. Uh, you have a lot of your constituents that are tired of their kids, little five, six-year-old kids being forced to wear a mask all day. Yeah. What can you tell those parents that are truly, I'm, I know some folks travel around, and I know get on the Facebook and stuff. I'm guilty of it too. But there's folks that are truly concerned about they want their kids to be able to go to school like they did. I, they don't think there's a lot of confidence that these cloth masks on little children are going to keep them anything different. I mean, I, your alma mater, Wheatland, mine of Neelyville, have not masked any kids this year. and Nobody's right. died. Somehow right. they figured it out. Right. What, do those kids have any hope for help outside of Eric Schmidt or just moving out of St. Louis? Well, I, I, well you know, you've got to fight the battle there with that. But here's the thing I think everybody needs to and I think it was important yesterday in the state of the state, I said this, 95% of the schools in this state were in classroom settings. 95% of the schools were in classroom settings. Nothing happened. Kids went to school. When kids got sick, they went home. They went home. Worked just like it normally does. 95% of them did. Teachers went to work. School systems did a good job making sure how to figure this out. You know, I think we got to do that. If you want your child to wear a mask, then wear a mask. Sure. Send sure. your child to school and wear a mask. Absolutely. Nobody's going to say one word about that. But there's going to be other people that don't want to do that. And I think that's everybody's individual rights to do that. And I think we've got to go back to respecting what it is parents want for their kids. It's not my job to raise those kids. And it's not the school's job to raise those kids. The school's job is to give them an education. Is there anything right now, if you're a parent watching this, and you're just worn out with the COVID stuff and you want your kid left alone, you want to raise your kid, not the school. Is there anything the state of Missouri is doing to tell those school districts that they should put a mask on those kids? Absolutely not. We're, we're, we're not, nor do we want to be in that business. I mean, you know, schools, you know, number one, parents have got to realize, you know, the schools do not have the rights to force anybody to do anything and shouldn't have the right yeah. to do that. Shouldn't want Parents it. have a right. That's uh, it's exactly right. And I think, Scott, you know, this has been in so much of the news about the mandate of the mask and stuff. But look, at some point, parents have got to take it upon themselves how they want their kid to go to school. Just what I said. If you want your child to wear a mask, wear a mask. I'm fine with that. Might be the biggest turnout for an April election ever, you think? It, it will be. And I think when you, everybody wants to talk about the science and the data sometimes, if you just see what's happening now. I'll just say Missouri. I'll stick it to Missouri, yeah. but you can see it all over the country. It doesn't matter whether you live in St. Louis or whether you live in Poplar Bluff or whether you live in Bolivar, Missouri right now. Mm. Effects the same. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many mandates you had in place. It doesn't matter how much you had. The effects of this variant is the same. The, the, I mean, the, the, just the data shows that. So it's no worse in St. Louis than it is anywhere else. It's no better in St. Louis than it is anywhere else. It's just we've got to get through this cycle. One last thing. Um, we wrote a story in the Missouri Times last year about illegal immigration. 
right on the interstate, right when you drive through 64, St. Louis folks call it 40, I guess, yeah. but big apartment complex are building, big condo development, right. all illegal immigration. We put a hidden camera in, and they just told you, yeah, we're paying you cash off the books. You have to work six hours, six days a week, 12 hours a day, all illegal. I asked Eric Schmidt, who, if a Missourian sees this and agrees with Donald Trump, I know you've sent troops to the border, Missouri's right. on the border. Yeah. If they agree with you, it's a serious thing. He said, call the Department of Labor. What would you advise them to do? One, there ought to be some action taken against yeah. that. And if we're not taking action, was Department of Labor here in this state or the feds should be one to step in there too. And we probably ought to be reaching out to our senators and our congressmen and saying, hey, well, what happened to these people? Because the last thing you want is you want illegals. There's a reason they're called illegals. Yeah. You know, to start off with, you know, but we got to get, we got to clean up as much as we can on the state levels, what the federal government has created. Yeah. What you're saying today, what you've seen and that happened up there is going to be all over the country and there's going to be more and more of it. So you better start getting prepared to deal with it because people keep coming across that border every day and they're going places in the United States. And your heart kind of goes out to them a little bit. I mean, good Lord, if you're willing to work hard like they are and have a skilled trade, Mark Fon Construction building pole barns down in, in Butler County, he'd love to have somebody that, that yeah. was skilled, but you want to do it right. Yeah. You want to come in and involve you, you have You have to do it right. And, and, and just like you say, it, yeah, it's a shame when you see people out there wanting yeah. to work Saturdays and Sundays and they'll do whatever it takes yeah. to make a little money because they've never had money before. And it's sad sometimes when some of our, what I would call people, are more willing just to take government aid all the time and not work because yeah. those people are out there. And those are the things that's kind of a shame. You have that dilemma out there that we're not making sure more people are more into the workforce and cutting out those benefits. But the bottom line is it's illegal. They shouldn't be here. It's not the right thing to do. And it needs to be stopped. Last question. In your state of the state, you didn't directly address this, but the congressional map. A lot of talk in the upstairs here about 61571, whatever. Do you really have a preference? when it comes to the end of the day, is that something that you would veto a bill over? Or would it have to really, really be a burr in your saddle before you vetoed it? Yeah, you, you know what? Look, I've, I've been pretty always hesitant to say what I'd veto and what sure. I wouldn't until I see it. And you know that. You, yeah. You've been around. I've been down here. I was here in 2010. We went through with all this. And you get to see all the players involved in it. And you want to, if it's honest brokers, you want to see honest yeah. brokers. But there's always people who use it for the advantage. People are looking to say, okay, how do I run for Congress? How do I set up a district for yeah, me later You were in the middle on? of it 10 years ago, right? Yeah, I, I mean, it was right in the middle of it. And those players are still there. Mm -hmm. They are today. The one thing I want is I want a good conservative map because that's the way our state is. Yep. That's just the way it is. So how that looks when it comes, whether it's 6-2, whether it's 7-1, if it's a good map, then it's going to have a shot of me signing it, whatever it is. But it's going to be definitely a solid 6-2 map. You know, and we'll see if a 7-1 map comes available. But I think it's too early. You know from coming out of the House, it's going to go to the Senate. We don't know what that's going to look like yet. And so for me to kind of even try to figure out what's that map look like, I hope the legislators come together and find a solution. I do. Because I'm not, I'm just never comfortable with the courts doing it. You get the feeling they're going through, right? I hope so. I hope so. I, I think there's a lot of people out there that understand the situation, understand St. Louis and Kansas City, how two bigger municipalities that are in our state. We'll just have to see how all that plays out. But, uh, you know, I'm going to look at that map, and if it's a good conservative map when it comes to my desk, I'm going to give it a fair chance. Real issue people care about the Chiefs. Big game this weekend. Yeah. Huge game. Oh, I mean, huge. oh, yeah. the Bills won, right? Yeah, yeah. So what yeah. happens? Oh, man, we're all over it. Uh, we're going to be good for that one. If I was picking any of the four teams that are left, the Bills would probably be the team I want to come to Kansas City. 
Uh, uh, they might be the tougher, the toughest team out there, I think. Yeah, they probably are. Someone would say this is the, the Super Bowl of the season, these two teams yeah. playing each other. I mean, they're going to be tough, and it's going to be salty for both teams. You going to be there? Uh, no, I don't think I'll be there this weekend. Oh. I'd love to be. I won't say that for sure yet. You know, I'm always trying to figure <laughs> out how I go. I got some crazy doctor's appointment or something, so I'm trying to get my priorities straight You've got to have the priorities out. here. you got to have the Chiefs, then doctors. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I got it Monday morning. But you know what? It's been a great season. Uh, Missouri's such a great sports state. Yeah. I mean, when you look, we, we were talking earlier about the Chiefs, about the Cardinals. You know, people need that right now. People need to have somebody to root for. They need a team, uh, whether it's high school, whether it's professional. Uh, I just think we're great sports. And I think it's a good part of our healing process in this state to be talking yeah. about things like this and kind of get us off the other subjects. Uh, when people want to put a scenario out of doom and gloom, it seems like every day, there's a lot of positive things happening. Kansas City Chiefs just one of them. Man, I'm kind of biased there, though, but anyhow. I can tell just a hair. Yeah. Governor, I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Yeah. No, Scott, appreciate you. We'll Thank be right you. back. Representative Ashley Oni, rising star on the Democrat Party, is going to join us. But first, go to showmissouri.com. This is Missouri One County Time. This week, we went to Cape County. We talked a lot of all kinds of Missouri history with Judge uh, Stephen Limbaugh and Peter Kinder. You're going to enjoy it. We'll get to the history of Cape County specifically next week, but you'll like this week. Stephen Limbaugh knows more about Missouri history than you can ever imagine. We'll be right back after this. All across Missouri, our new car and truck dealers are building strong local economies. When you buy a car or truck in Missouri, you're helping to support over 20,000 Missouri families who rely on the auto industry for good-paying local jobs. You're also helping fund our communities, schools, first responders, and our roads because dealers generate millions of dollars in tax revenue. Missouri's automobile dealers have been the foundation of our communities for generations and for generations to come. The Missouri Automobile Dealers Association, the heart of Missouri. For more than a century, the St. Louis Carpenters Union has shaped our communities. Through trusted alliances, we deliver skilled professional craftspeople while our business partners provide the kind of quality jobs that keep our economy humming. It's a blueprint that has worked since 1882. Turning Missouri into a right-to-work state stalls progress, wipes out jobs, and kills momentum. Right to work is wrong for everyone. Let's keep Missouri moving forward. Visit carpdc.org to learn more. Your energy needs are changing. That's why at Ameren, Missouri, we're not waiting on the future. We're building it with the Smart Energy Plan, advancing thousands of projects across the state, helping reduce emissions through cleaner energy sources, boost reliability with self-healing equipment, and better withstand storms with new composite poles. Moving Missouri forward and bringing us all a little closer together. That's energy at work. Welcome back to this week of Missouri Politics. We had the governor previously. Now for a different perspective on the state of the state. We are joined by a rising star of the Democratic Party, Representative Ashley Ani from the Kent City area, the Northland, I guess. Yes, thank you. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me. First off, what did you think of the speech? You know, I thought it was good. I, it was good to hear Governor Parson give a rundown of what was going on uh, or what is going on in the state. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we're on the other side of the aisle, right? Sure. So there's a lot we dis disagreed on. Um, but, you know, I think that there were some things that we do agree on. And I think that that's, uh, you know, exciting to, to see some of the places where the Democrats and the governor are aligning. Uh, just for fun, let's start with the thing no one agrees on, and that's COVID. Uh, the governor, you know, I... I think that it's funny, you know, if you if you read most of the media, he got lambasted for not doing more to make rural Missouri do do stuff. But on in his own party, he has been lambasted for not not making where St. Louis can't make you do stuff. Where where's where's the happy middle there? 
You know, I think that that's a great question. I think that one of the things that is really frustrating, especially listening to the speech yesterday, was uh, hearing him take a victory lap on his COVID response. And from my perspective, someone who represents a suburban area and a more populated uh, part of the state in, in suburban Kansas City, uh, what we our experience was that we weren't able to get access to vaccines a year ago. Uh, you know, we were being forced to drive over an hour to va uh, vaccination sites when they first started popping up in Missouri. Uh, we had vaccinations that were being wasted daily in the state. Um, to me, that is not a successful COVID response. Um, I think that we've learned, I think as a state we've learned and we're trying to do better and we're trying to do more. Um, and, you know, I, I don't, fault the administration from doing uh, what they thought they needed to do, mm -hmm. uh, but I do fault the administration from not learning from mistakes and pivoting when they realize that things weren't working. I ask him this question, I'll ask you today. We're about a year into the vaccine, right? Mm -hmm. If You can get a vaccine, any, look, you can just walk out your door and holler and somebody will give you a vaccine. Yeah. What could you say to someone? I don't think there's anything I guess you could say to someone. If they ain't already got it, what are you going to say to them to get them to get it? You know, at this point, I'm not sure that, that there are a whole lot of ways to convince people to get Close vaccinated. Close friend dying, right? That'd be about all I can think of. Maybe, but we've seen people whose loved ones have passed and they're still not willing to get the vaccine. So, uh, you know, I think at yep. this point, constant education, one-on-one -on -one conversations with folks in your life who you care about and let them know that you want them to get the vaccine because you care about them. Um, I think that, you know, what we're seeing is vaccinations are keeping people from dying and they're keeping people out of like serious, serious health um, issues in, in the hospitals. And so, so, you know, I, I think that we need to keep having those conversations, but we also need to understand that we're probably not going to convince everyone. What do you say to a parent who's just done with COVID? They send their kids to school in a mask. They're tired of it. They want their kid left alone. They're just worn out with the whole thing. They, they, they've come to the conclusion, right or wrong, that this is over and time to move on. Yeah. And they're frustrated. And maybe they don't go to school many as you get on Facebook, but they're worn down. What do you say to that parent? You know, I will say that in a lot of ways, I am that parent. I'm a step parent to a 12-year-old whose school uh, was uh, not in session for three weeks over the holidays mm -hmm. um, into uh, January, which is over a week longer than they should have been out for the holidays. And um, that's really frustrating. It's frustrating for parents. It's difficult for parents. I get it. I'm there too. I know how you have to pivot and figure out how to, you know, make new arrangements and, and change schedules. Um, what I say to parents who are dealing with that is, is this is our reality. This is our new reality. And you know, it's important to continue staying um, up to date on what's going on with your kids and what's going on with their school, of course, and advocating for your kids. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that we're in a place now with this pandemic where Omicron is spreading rapidly. Yeah. We know that it's spreading rapidly through our schools. Um, capital. Through the Capitol. <laughs> the speaker, uh, or I'm sorry, um, uh, Crystal Quaid, our minority floor leader, she had her kids here yesterday yeah. uh, in the building because St. Louis Public Schools shut down. Uh, so, you know, we're all making concessions. We're all doing what we have to do. Um, but what I would say is, you know, I wish our legislature was doing more uh, to help parents in those situations, to, um, you know, bolster uh, child care options when we're seeing those dwindling across the state. Um, and Let's talk about and something not. the governor's doing. So he's run, you run out of state workers, right? Everybody's run out of workers. You run out of state workers. Yes. Right now, he said, let's pay him $15 yes. a year. Yes. Where do yes. you come down on that? Oh. 
I mean, I'm supporting that. That's so great. That was one of the points in um, the State of the State yesterday where I think um, a very clear divide was shown in the, in the, in the, uh, the chamber. We had, um, you know, a huge response from the Democrats. Um, you know, we rose, we clapped. We're so excited to hear the governor um, state publicly how he wants to pay state workers more. That is so important. Is this a trend, though? He's a cattle farmer. He's a businessman. Yeah. He understands. He gonna, if you want a worker, you're going to pay more. Absolutely. That's just the way. That's the way business goes. Sure. It's an interesting thing in the Republican Party. It's changing. That chamber used to be stocked full of Republican businessmen. It is not the case anymore. I don't even know if it's a majority of that caucus. And I think it's reflected not just here. When I first walked into this building with Mark Richardson, gosh, I'm so old now, 20 years ago, if you would have told me there was a bill on the floor that would make a business not be able to do anything, it didn't matter. The Republicans would be against it. Now there's a bill that says businesses can't require a vaccine. That is a major jump from the Republican Party of pro-business to I'm not sure what you call today, but I'm not sure it's pro-business anymore. It doesn't feel that way. And I'm a business owner myself. And so, you know, when I see legislation like this moving through, it gets really frustrating because as a business owner, I believe that I have the right to make that decision for my business and for my employees, whether that's to keep my employees safe or to keep my business open. We need employees to be healthy. We need our staff to be healthy. And if we can't do that, and if we can't manage that, and we don't have those rights as business owners, um, well, that's not a free and fair market. Is there a little bit of a change though? Because I think Democrats, when I first walked in this building, probably would have supported that. They were supportive of the government giving mandates to business, telling them what you can and can't do. It's an interesting shift over time to see where these two parties have gone. And term has got something to do with it, but I think you find the actual Republican primary voters, anything that says vaccine, they're against it, right? Yep. I think that that's, I think that that's a big thing. And unfortunately, you know, uh, it's a trigger word at this point. Vaccines, uh, right, COVID, yeah. you know, it's, it's a trigger word and people get immediately, they put up a, a, a block um, and they don't want to talk about it or they don't want to deal with it or they don't want to um, have a vaccine. And, or they're an expert. Or they're I, as, I, I done their the, own research. I run into COVID guy expert all the time and they're very knowledgeable. And Absolutely. I, I'm not sure they know anything, but I'm not sure who does. So I'll talk about before you go. Um, being in the minority sometimes are. You don't get a chance to have a lot of wins. Big win on Medicaid. Yeah. And it, when you see the budget come out and it's proposed fully funding Medicaid yeah. after the court, all the stuff, right? The court fights and the mm -hmm. wrangling and wrangling, wrangling. Yeah. Do you feel like finally you've won the fight? In some ways, yes. Uh, in other ways, no, because yesterday the Budget Committee heard uh, a new bill from uh, Representative Cody Smith, who's the chair of the Budget Committee, um, who wants to add work requirements. Um, and What's your argument against that? The if data shows charity, the data shows that work requirements do not um, do not help, and here's why: because when you're talking about someone who is in a low-income situation, um, who is struggling to make ends meet, living in poverty, um, and you know they may or may not be able to find work. Um, for a myriad of reasons, right? We know that childcare right now is so difficult sure. even for working families. Um, and when it's A, unaffordable, and B, unaccessible, uh, then, then we have situations where we are putting low-income people even further behind by um, revoking their health care, by revoking their, the benefits that they receive. The folks you added to Medicaid expansion, most of them are working people. Right. The, now more people are eligible that make more money. Right. So probably most of them, they already work, right? Most of them, right. But we want to protect the folks who are the most vulnerable. And I think that that's where it comes in. And I think that that's something that Democrats really fight for, right? We're always fighting for the people who are the underdogs, the most vulnerable. We want to stand up for those folks. And that's, that's what this is. Would you continue that fight? Hope you'll come back here on this week of Missouri Politics and talk about it. I'd love to. Thank you for joining us from the state capitol for the State of the State wrap-up show. We'll be back next week for this week in Missouri Politics.
This Week in Missouri Politics, sponsored by the Missouri Association of Career Fire Protection Districts, Spire, and Sterling Bank. Guys, thank you so much for watching the show. I want to tell you about a new thing we're offering. It's the Missouri Times Podcast Network. You'll get this show every week. If you want to listen to it in your car, you don't have time to watch it. You'll get our show in Missouri podcast, History of Missouri, one county at a time. You'll also get our midweek update. Once a week, I throw up the uh, Facebook Live. I, 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 we talk politics. Usually, it'll lunch and discuss politics. You'll get to hear all those things come right to your phone. Subscribe to us on iTunes or Android. Missouri Times Podcast Network. Please join us and subscribe.